And we'll go to Matthew, look at Matthew, and our, our theme verse for this new theme, Loving Christ Supremely, is found in Matthew 22. Matthew 22:37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And of course, he then went on from there to tell us, that's the first great commandment, but there is a second like unto it, and that is to love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus told the Pharisees in that passage that on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, you don't need to uh, obsess over every single uh, law if you would but obsess over the Lord Jesus, loving Him and loving others, you would fulfill a lot of those laws on accident better than you would on purpose. Not that we should not focus on specific things and specific commands, but the point being, seek Jesus and uh, seek to love Him and those that He loves, and that is truly life-changing. This morning's message is going to continue in this theme of loving Christ supremely. But for a moment, it may seem like we're going down a bit of a rabbit trail, but I, I do believe it's not a rabbit trail. It's totally connected with this theme. Jesus made it clear that we cannot truly love the Lord unless we love those that Christ loves, those that are close to his heart. John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? It has to come down to how we view one another. And in that light, uh, that's how we really need to recognize uh, where we're at with our love for Christ. We should not talk all about our love for Christ and diminish our love one for another. The Bible says we're a liar in that case. In our text this morning and in several similar passages, it's evident, because uh, we're going to be in Matthew 18, you can be there in a moment, but it's evident from the passage that we're going to be discussing that children are very close to the heart of God. He loves children deeply, and he even likens salvation to children, their simple faith. And he says that if you and I are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we have, to, we have to figure something out. We have to figure out childlike faith. And uh, he says in many different places, uh, bring the children to me. Suffer the little children uh, to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 19. Psalm 127 also tells us about his heart for the children. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. The Bible is very clear on uh, this fact that children are close to the heart of God, and it's also clear that those who uh, do not treat children well, um, God looks very, very unfavorably upon that. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 1 says this, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as, a little, as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is great in the kingdom of heaven. 
And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must, be, it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. You know, we're used to this passage. We've heard this a lot, especially the portion about uh, it'd be better for you to lose an arm or an eyeball than to, uh, to perish for the lack of of, uh, for, for, on account of the fact that there was sin in your life that you weren't willing to part with. And you said, I got to have two hands. I got to have my sin. And you go to hell with two hands. It's better to go to heaven with one hand, is what he's saying, than to be so stubborn in our sin. You know, but it is interesting to recognize that that very familiar passage is, is in the middle of, of a whole passage with bookends on both sides, you might say, dealing with children specifically in our relationship to them and how we treat them. Verse 10 is, is a very strong verse. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Strong passage. Well, January happens to be, if you weren't aware, it happens to be Human Tra Trafficking Awareness Month. And this is something that uh, I've never spoken on here as a, as a pastor. Uh, it's something that hasn't really been on my radar uh, like it has been recently, until more recently. Uh, there's a, uh, there was a time when in our country this wasn't as much of an issue, but it has become an epidemic in our country and in our world that is uh, growing faster than any other. And as I looked at this theme of loving Christ supremely, and I had this burden on my heart to talk about this at some point, where the Lord just put them all together right here with Matthew 18. You can't really love Jesus Christ until you love who he loves. You don't really care about Jesus Christ until you care about the things that he cares about, or should I say the ones that he cares about. And Jesus absolutely loves children. Everything they represent their innocence, their simple faith, the, the, the brightness of hope and a future before them. The Lord loves children. And in this passage of Scripture, he goes pretty hard after those who would abuse children. And when he talks about offenses, the direct context is the offenses done to children. When he talks about the guy with the hand or the foot that needs to be cut off 
or the eye that needs to be plucked out. It'd be better to pluck out an eye than to continue in these offenses. He's talking directly about children. We oftentimes apply it all sorts of different ways, but the immediate context is the offenses of our hands and our eyes and regards to children. January is a month, as I mentioned, that is uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and there are many people trying to raise awareness, and I believe churches need to also be at the forefront of this discussion, of this issue, and not hide uh, behind friendlier themes. A couple statistics here, $99 billion is estimated to be made annually through sex trafficking. That's a lot of money. 4.5 million people throughout the world are victims of forced sexual exploitation. 51 billion per year is accumulated in forced labor. 21 million victims worldwide are believed to be victims of forced labor. One in six endangered runaways reported in the United States are likely to become victims of of sex trafficking. 20% of human trafficking victims are children, and that number is growing. Females who are forced into domestic servitude are often sexually exploited. I've been looking at this more and more recently and just uh, appalled by uh, the rate at which this monstrosity is growing in our country and in our world, our country is ranked number two, second worst. And uh, it's really bad around the Super Bowl, believe it or not. Any, Any kind of big party, people look for these opportunities. We have a problem. How does this happen? Well, there's, there's uh, buyers which fuel the market with money causing demand, and then there's traffickers who exploit the victims and earn revenue from the buyers, and then, of course, there's the victims, boys and girls, bought and sold for profit, and it's happening right underneath our nose. Uh, they use social networking, social media, uh, that's the primary venue where kids are, are, are located, uh, online stuff, home neighborhoods, clubs, internet school. They allure them through promises of protection, love, adventure, opportunity. I've spent some time recently and I've listened to a couple of podcasts of uh, those who survived. One young lady gave her story of surviving being trafficked and uh, how uh, she was lured into a photo shoot for, uh, a, that was going to promise her to be a, a child uh, model, uh, modeling dresses and this and that and the other thing. And um, ended up, she was, uh, it was much more than that. Messed her up. She's in her 20s now and still dealing with so much from all of that. 
The Bible says, again, going back to our text, verse 5, Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Let's look at this passage and draw some conclusions here. <clears throat> First of all, the obvious one is how you treat children is, is uh, Jesus takes that personally. Okay, that's the obvious uh, first thing we've got to recognize here. How we, cheat, how we treat children is seen as how we treat Jesus himself. It's taken personally by the Lord Jesus. Your view of the least of the brethren reveals your true thought of who Jesus is. Because he died for each one. He left heaven, heaven's throne for the least of us, whoever that may be. Not that there is really a least but from our perspective, there oftentimes is. God sees us differently, thankfully. Those who harm children face the possibility of the most severe punishment from Almighty God. Better to wear a millstone around the neck, the Bible says. What is this millstone? Well, millstones grind together, and they would uh, have oftentimes slave labor pushing these these, uh, these wooden poles that would go into the mill or sometimes be animals, and they'd, they'd move those millstones around. And there were various sizes. You had small mills, you had big mills, but whatever, uh, these stones were heavy. And there was a punishment reserved for those who needed a very special kind of punishment where they would give them a millstone, tie it around their neck, take them out in a boat to the deepest part of the sea, and push them over. Now, why would they do that? Well, this was reserved for the people that they wanted to literally wipe off the face of the earth. In those days, there were those that they felt needed to have no trace, not a fingerprint left behind. If we could put you on the moon, we would, but we can't. So the next, best, the next best thing, if you're trying to wipe someone literally off the face of the earth with no memory, no nothing, would be the bottom of the sea. And so that's what they would do. This, I, as I read, uh, if someone had a plague and purposefully tried to spread that plague maliciously, I'm going down and I'm taking my whole town with me. That guy would get a millstone, and they would row him out to the deepest part. They would push him and his plague overboard, and they would put all that at the bottom of the sea, and they wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. This punishment was reserved for someone who they did not want to have any memorial, no headstone, not so much as a trace. Jesus felt that those who harmed children were worthy of that type of a punishment. Take them off the face of the earth, bury them under the deepest sea, put a millstone around their neck, and let them be gone. It is a plague that we're dealing with today, folks. It is a leprosy. And there are those who are trying to spread it. There are those who are trying to legalize p 
pedophilia. There have been subtle little pushes, not so subtle anymore, but there have been different organizations are testing the waters to see if culture is ready for it yet. Remember the clothing line not too long ago that marketed their clothing with outright ads of, of pedophilia? That had a lot of pushback. They pulled all those ads, and they said, okay, we were testing the waters, and they're not ready yet. We'll wait. We'll wait. Eventually, they'll be ready because this culture is being pushed. It's coming from every, every area. Sex trafficking is a huge business. There's tons of money in it. There are politicians that are no doubt turning a, turning a blind eye or maybe participating. I don't know. But it is a plague that as they did in Jesus' day when they would take someone who's trying to spread a plague deliberately, they would take him and put him on the bottom of the sea. So it is today. This plague needs to be buried in the bottom of the sea. Better to be maimed, Jesus said, than to be involved in this. Better to lose your hand or your foot than to hurt a child. Better to lose your sight. Pluck out your eyes if you have a problem objectifying a child and exploiting a child. Better to be blind. But verse 10 is interesting. Verse 10 tells us that though children seem to be defenseless from our perspective, children are not as defenseless, defenseless as they may seem from God's perspective. Look what children do have going for them. They have angels. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. What does that mean? You don't want to find out. It does not necessarily teach that all of us have our own guardian angel, though some use this passage to teach that. It does teach this. Every kid has one. That for sure. Do you always keep your guardian angel? I don't know. Mine's probably tired of me, (laughs) I'm sure. But we know this much for sure. Every kid has one. The vulnerable, the weak, the easily influenced young people have their angels that the Bible says in this passage are literally coming from the very presence of God's face. You can't see God's face, you and me, and live. Moses couldn't even handle that. He, he uh, had to have himself covered, and then God passed by, and he was only able to see the hinder parts, the Bible says, uh, of God passing by. And even after that, he came down from the mountain, and his face glowed so much, they had to put a bag over his head. He was blinding them. In Old Testament times, nobody could, not just anybody could see the king's face. If you ended up in the king's presence and you didn't have the king's permission, you were gone. Esther couldn't just go see the king's face, right? But those ones who ministered in his presence, they ministered daily looking at the face of the king. Just because they had that opportunity, they were seen differently. He's seen the, he's seen the face of the king. And you don't mess with that guy. Well, these angels who come 
from literally God's close presence, look out for these children. Now, I know that somebody is saying, where are they? Didn't you just say that the the numbers are going up and this is not getting any better? Where are those angels? This is where we have to recognize that God's timing is not always our timing, but do not think for a moment that because the judgment of God delays that the judgment of God is not there. Psalm 73 teaches us all about that. He is looking at the wicked and he's saying, they're prospering. They're getting away with everything. What's going on? I cleansed my heart in vain. I might have just well done what they did because they're getting away with it. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, Psalm 73 says, then I understood their ways. Surely you have set them in slippery places. Surely you brought them down into destruction as in a moment. And he walks out of there and he says, Oh, Lord, I, I was so foolish and ignorant. Forgive me. You had it all under control the entire time. We have to yield to God's timetable, but we know this. God is the judge who will do right. Psalm 68, 5 says, A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, God is in his holy habitation. Now, as we talk about this, many people, right about this time, they're thinking, okay, all right, so, so, so God is supposedly looking out for these kids. We'll take it by faith that he is. And his timetable is not my timetable. I wish he'd come down now, but he's not. But I guess I'll trust him with that. But there's still one more question we, we, we struggle with. And that is, what about those who've been trafficked, though? Like, I, I, what are they supposed to do in the meantime? And how could God allow this? Let's talk about this for a minute. What about those who've been trafficked? How could God allow this? A loving God, the God that I'm supposed to love. We have a theme called loving Christ supremely. And how am I supposed to love Christ supremely when it doesn't seem from our perspective that he is loving them to let them go through this? Folks, we have to understand children are precious to the Lord. And they do have hope even through these trials and God has not forsaken them. While it's absolutely unimaginable to think of innocent children surviving day to day in this condition, God has not forgotten them. We just went, my family went to the Henry Ford Museum and we went over to the Charles Lindy uh, display. And then while we were there, we pulled out our phones and got up Wikipedia to, to flesh out some more of the, of, the, of the story that wasn't in the display. And and they, in the display, they did not have any word of the kidnapping of his, his son. But that's a pretty big part of the Charles Lindy story. That's a big part. He never saw his son again. And he was never the same man again. He took that to his grave. It was an absolute life-changing atrocity. I've thought about it many times. 
How do you sleep at night knowing your kid is gone and with some creep? How do you ever get a moment's rest knowing what are they going through? What's going on? How, how, when, where, Lord? Has God forgotten? Why does God allow mankind to explore the depths of their own sinful free will? And why are we so brutal to one another and cruel? If history has taught us anything at all, history has taught us this for sure, that mankind is not basically good. Mankind is really bad. But for the grace of God, when God confronts us with his love and we respond to it in faith. Well, does this Bible speak to this? It does. In 2 Kings 5, we're not going to go there for sake of time, but in 2 Kings 5, you have the story of Naaman's servant girl. Naaman's servant girl, we think of her as the girl who spoke up to Naaman, the captain of the host of Syria, who had great power and great honor, only he was a mighty man of valor, but the Bible says he was a leper. Leprosy in that day was a horrible plague. It, it ate off your fingers, toes, your nose. It ate the skin until you finally died of your open, open sores. And this mighty, mighty man of valor was going to be taken down piece by piece. This horrible way to die. And this servant girl, she speaks up and she says, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And then the story moves on, and, the, and that's it for the girl. That's it. Find any more about her. That's it. And that's who she is to us. But have you ever just sat for a moment and let your imagination flesh out the rest of her story? This is a girl who was trafficked. And Syrians weren't necessarily nice to those that they trafficked. She ends up with this guy... How many times did she change hands? What all took place on the road from here to there? In what condition did she arrive with this man and his wife? Have you thought of all of this? What was her sleeping conditions? What was her, 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 what was her hope? What was her future? The Bible says while she was waiting on Naaman's wife, we also know that it was customary for young servant girls to serve other purposes. We don't know that, but it was definitely customary. Regardless of her use, this was a tragedy. Why would God allow it? I'll tell you this. Did God abandon her? No. And she didn't abandon God. And the amazing thing here is that this servant girl who was trafficked against her will, when she sees her abuser, her owner, begin to be eaten alive by this leprosy. She has pity on him. And she says, oh, would to God he knew the prophet that I know that would heal him. And that started the ball rolling, and that guy gets to the prophet, and he gets healed. And we never hear a word about this girl again. She had pity on her master's condition rather than taking pleasure in his infirmities. 
She wished for his healing, not his condemnation. And she really believed that God would cure him, even though God had left her in captivity. Now, what kind of faith is that? That's amazing. This is why God loves children so much, just the simple faith. She submitted herself to God. She trusted him, and she found peace and purpose. On account of her faith, her master became a believer. Great works were accomplished. God was glorified, and she has her little bitty part in a miracle and has been forever memorialized as a young girl who found faith and peace even in the middle of atrocity. By entrusting herself fully to God, she remained in a place of great usefulness. God used the servant girl to save lives. She's not the only one trafficked in the Bible. You have Joseph, the dreamer. Like so many children, Joseph, too, was a dreamer. You know what I want to be when I grow up? Joseph had a few of those. His family wasn't so keen to listen. But he, he had dreams. He had thoughts. He had ambitions. The future was bright until one day the light went out. Literally, he found himself in a, in a, dunge, in a, in a pit. Sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites and the Midianites. Again, what did he face on his journey? Young man in this band of Ishmaelites and Midianites doing whatever they do. I don't know. It's not said what he faced. He's sold into Potiphar's house as a servant. God blesses him. He works hard. He moves up in rank, but still he's just a servant, and he is solicited by his master's wife. Promiscuity was common with slaves, but he resisted. He's rewarded with prison for this, where he's forgotten, and you could say maybe he was even forgotten by God. It sure looked that way. He wasn't, but it looked that way. You know the story. He ends up getting out of there. He ends up interpreting Pharaoh's dream. He ends up being the deliverer of Egypt, having come through human trafficking, to use today's terminology. And at the end of it all, his faith in God and his submission to God's will is staggering when he says these things. You meant it for evil, brothers, but God meant it for good. What trafficking victim would have that on their lips? I wouldn't expect any of them to. I would not expect any of them to. Unless someone who is in that state is holding on to God all the way through, and God's holding on to them all the way through, showing him glimpses of his goodness even in the darkest moments, showing him token after token of I'm still here and I'm not done, keep trusting me. But you say, preacher, God would never do that. Like God, God, God wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't let a child go through this. It's already happened, folks, a lot of times. And God has not forgotten about a one. He actually goes as far as to say this. It was not you that sent me here. It was God who sent me here. God sent him into human trafficking? Well, God is in control of all. He allows our free will because those of us who will, of our own 
free will, look to his goodness, grace, his love, his mercy, uh, and we'll put our faith in him, that is, that is so much more of a wonder than it is for robots who are programmed to come to him. He allows us to have free will so that we will plumb the depths of it and then choose Jesus. You know, he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. It was not you that sent me here, it was God. He's just chosen to say, I'm in God's hands. I'm not in my abuser's hands. I'm not in your hands. I'm in God's hands. No matter what this looks like, I'm in God's hands. And he was right. And I'm not mad at either of you. I'm not mad at God. I'm not mad at you. That is phenomenal because all of us in this room have been horribly mad at God and others for far less. We get mad at God because we can't get out of our driveway this morning, you know, it's slippery. And man, what in the world? Why does it have to snow on a Sunday, God? I'm trying to get to church and preach. And I'm arguing with the Lord. You know, it's amazing how quickly we get mad at God. Joseph said, I, I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at God. God has used all of this to preserve life. How could God allow the servant girl to go into slavery? How could God allow Joseph to go into slavery? He made himself known to them both in ways they could have never known any other way, deepened their faith in a way that I don't know and you don't know, and he saved the world. For Joseph, it was the known world. For, for the servant girl, it was just several people that came into confrontation with God. What about one more? What about Esther? Esther, the kidnapped queen. The story of Esther begins with Vashti, the queen, being deposed as queen on account of the fact that she would not her submit herself to the public sexual objectification of the king and his friends at their drunken party. Esther 2 talks about the king's servants going out to seek all the fair virgins. And they brought them in against their will. They brought them in. They go into the, the custody of Hegi, the, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women. And they begin to be purified. And then each one of them has their night with the king, and the one that pleases the king is going to be his queen, and the others will go back into the house of women, which basically is a fancy prison where they will remain captives until they die or he's done with them, and they only have one use if he ever calls their name. Oh, you say, oh, that's just what they did in that culture. Now, that was sex trafficking. I don't care about the culture. I don't care about the laws. It was legal. Uh, it doesn't matter. That's wrong. So Esther has this journey of being trafficked by the king, and uh, she goes through the purification. She is brought before the king. Mordecai had no decision in this matter. He was her cousin who kind of acted like an uncle to her, raised her when her parents were, were dead. He checks on her every single day because he was concerned for her, the Bible says. And each one of them have to go before the king. They're, they are literally, they're prisoners. They are literally sex slaves. That's what they are. Called a harem. Called a bunch of wives. No, sex slaves. How could this be of God? Where was God in this? 
How could he abandon her in this time? Didn't he know what she was going through? I want you to think about what Esther was going through. Her parents are dead. That's bad right there. She's raised by her, her older cousin as kind of a father figure, an uncle figure. She finds herself against her will enslaved to the king's harem. She's prepared for her duties. She's called upon to consummate those activities, scared out of her mind. Somebody's daughter. After this, she has the fear of finding out her people are going to be wiped out with a genocide. Where's God? God was there, folks, whether you like it or not, whether you like how this went, none of us like how this went down. But God was there. He strengthened her faith. And the story of Esther is so amazing. Her, her interactions back and forth with Mordecai, as Mordecai is saying, hang in there, sweetheart. Who knows but what God has brought you here for such a time as this? And she could have just recoiled at those words. God brought me here to do what I've been doing for such a time as this. What? He could, she could have been so, so done. She hangs on to the faith that she has. She continues to look to the Lord. She gets people praying and fasting and praying. And you know what happened. She goes in there to the king and it finds favor, and she's able to deliver her whole people from the genocide that would have otherwise taken place. Well, did God really have to do all of that to save his people? If he wants to save the people from genocide, he's God. He can just save the people from genocide. Why do you have to let a girl get sold into slavery to be this, this kid, queen, who is abused by this guy? I'm not God, so I can't speak for God, and God's not on trial this morning. He never is. But I can just say this, God is good, God knows what he's doing, and one of the things he has proven through the Esther story and the Joseph story and the name and servant girl story and every other story is that even in the worst of atrocities, a child being kidnapped and abused, God can even find someone there. And though that hurts to even say that, because who wants to go through that? God is so big and God is so good and he is such a redeemer, he can even redeem that. And we have to just bow before God as the sovereign and recognize his ways are not our ways. Certainly they're hard, they're hard for us to find out. But how good a God is, how, how good God is to, to not forget Esther, but to keep her very close to him all the way through that trial. You know, you say, well, that's great and all, but she still had to live with this guy, and she still had to be his queen, and she still was stuck in a terrible spot. That is true. That is true. But she had a relationship with God that was so real God was meeting her needs. God was ministering to her. And many of us, all of us, could learn so much from that. We think, I could never be happy unless this. How could God have left me in this situation, in this marriage, in this job, in this dead-end life? 
There is no dead-end life when God is a part of it. What would I say to those who have been trafficked if they could hear me right now? And I don't know, maybe somebody is or is tuning in. I would say this, don't give up on God. He has not given up on you. He has not abandoned you. He knows exactly where you are. And if you will look to him, you'll get to know him like nobody else will ever be able to know him. The presence of these atrocities in your life does not mean that the Savior is absent. Jesus loves you. He alone can heal you. He alone can help you and bring purpose out of the chaos in your life. And if you're someone who's listened to this and you've been trafficked, then God in His sovereignty has allowed you to come to a place of such destitution where you have nothing else you can reach to but God. And therein is a blessing if you'll choose to find it. The rest of us wallow around in our misery of materialism and self, self-devotion. And we fight and fume and fuss about all the stuff that we don't have, that we want to have. And God is so good, but we can't see it. And we're miserable. But those of you who have come to the depths of atrocity have been able to understand who God is in such a real way. And there is a silver lining in that. Don't get bitter, I would tell them. Don't get, pit, don't get bitter. Look to Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He too was abused. He too was sold. He too went through that which was not just. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not, not what they do. And someone probably hear this and say, how could you, preacher, say that when you never went through this? I only say it because it's Bible. I would also say, leave the wicked to God who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That little servant girl, she says, I wish you'd get healed. Joseph says, I'm so glad we could save the world. Praise God for those who forgive. We who are alive and well and free should recognize that God doesn't owe us anything. Whatever path God has placed you on in this, in this life has unimaginable potential for those who will choose to focus on Jesus and cling to him by faith, whatever you're experiencing. If God can take Joseph through what he's experiencing, he can take you through yours. And also, I would say to all of us here, God has tokens of good all around us if we would open our eyes. There's tokens for good everywhere. Reminders of his presence, reminders of his grace, reminders of his goodness. You know, Joseph had that too. God, wasn't God doing little bits and pieces all the way along to show him, I haven't forgot you. I haven't forgot you. You're in Potiphar's house, but now you're running the place. You're in the prison, but now you're running that. You know, there's always something that God gives you to show you some hope. But you've got to open your eyes. And I would tell you as well, with whatever you have experienced, don't get bitter, don't charge God with injustice. Let him lead and learn to surrender to his loving hand. Folks, loving Christ supremely extends to those he loves and gave his life for. 
May God help us to love him through them. May God help us. Lord, I pray. Help us to love you supremely. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to love our neighbor better than ourselves. Lord, I pray that none of us here would make excuses for our flesh, make excuses about our inability to do anything about the problem. Lord, I pray that each of us here would let you set our hearts free to serve you in this matter of especially uh, helping to see the end of this atrocity in our day. Lord, I want to pray that you would first of all help Christians to do whatever you're leading them to do in this regard. I pray secondly, Lord, for those who are in this atrocity right now that you would draw very clear to them and draw out Esther's and, and uh, Joseph's, Daniel's, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nehemiah, so many people that we think of were trafficked individuals that you used greatly. Lord, would you overturn what Satan is doing through this atrocity in our day? Would you call out great, great life-saving believers who would be used of you to rescue so many? Lord, I pray for those of us here who are struggling in one way or another that, uh, Lord, none of us here would be careless and cavalier about our part in all of this. Lord, convict of sin. And Lord, bring us to that place of freedom as we truly learn to love Christ and love others and let the temptations of sin fall at our feet. Help us to get our gaze firmly on the Savior, we pray. I'm going to ask the piano to play. I'm going to ask us just to take a moment in silent prayer. I went down a lot of different avenues. I don't know what the Lord may be talking to you about, but would you respond to Him? Would you pray about your part to spread the gospel, to spread hope, to help see this atrocity turned around in our day? Maybe you're convicted about compromises in your own life. Oh, would you come through with the Lord on that? Let's pray that God will use these atrocities to call out people for his name. Let's play another verse. If if you're one here who's just been dealing with bitterness, you can keep playing. If you're dealing with bitterness, you're dealing with anger, maybe God spoke to you this morning about recognizing there's a lot of people who have it a lot worse than you and have yet to give up on God. Don't give up on God, friend. Lay your burden down, lay your bitterness down. Recognize if God could reach Joseph, and Esther, God can reach you. Would you talk to him?
You can look this way. Tonight, Lord willing, at 6 o'clock, we'll take some time in our life group to uh, talk through this important subject. I've got a lot of questions I've written out that we can go through. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can take this. There's all sorts of different things that apply to us today. Uh, but if you're able to be back at 6, I hope to have you here. And let's just continue to let God uh, lead us in a greater love for Him and one another. Pastor CJ, would you come? Dismiss us in prayer. You all can stand. Pastor CJ, dismiss us in prayer. Thank you for that message, Pastor. Sobering, but one we need to hear. And if we're tempted to accuse God of inaction, remember God has called and equipped us to take action. And with His power, we can make a difference. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we know You do care and You do see. Lord, we know that you love us and you love the world. Help us to love you supremely, above pleasure, above our own goals and aspirations. Lord, help us to love those that you love. And remember that you have called and equipped the church with the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling to go and to give the good news that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again and can save, can change hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you'd use us to take the gospel so that souls would be saved, so they might be prevented from ever committing these atrocities. Lord, we pray for those who have been trafficked. Lord, please get the gospel to them. Lord, I pray that you'd break through, that you would um, just be with them, comfort them, rescue them. Lord, I pray for the the human race. Uh, We are wicked, Lord. We stand in deserving of punishment. But Lord, you were gracious and loving. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, help us to hold our gospel light high for all to see. Lord, bless us as we travel today. Protect us. Bring us back safe tonight to discuss your word with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we love you and thank you for all that you are doing and have done. We look forward with anticipation of what you will do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless. (laughs) 